Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies, your workforce transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kathy Palachko, Senior Vice President and Global Automotive Lead for GP Strategies. I'm joined today by Dave Zakowski, Chief Strategy Officer for United Digital, who serves as a member of GP Strategies Automotive Advisory Board, and our guest, Ted Crable, President of ESI Trends, a firm dedicated to researching the state of engagement and retention in the retail auto industry. We've come together today to talk about just that, the state of the retail automotive workforce. Kathy, thank you for having me. Our, our pleasure. Dave, you want to get us started? Sure. I've always been fascinated by the dynamics of the automotive workplace, right? Um, I tend to look at it as a, a tangible asset that, that and, and many dealers don't look at it that way. And that's created some problems. In my experience of over you know, 40 years of calling on stores, I've consistently found that the higher, highest performing st- stores, it's not dependent on market, it's not uh, uh, dependent on brand serve, none of that, the highest performing stores have the lowest employee turnover and the highest retention uh, uh, among key positions. And, and it's been unfathomable to me that not more time is spent by dealer operators uh, trying to understand the key drivers of loyalty and retention. I mean, they'll spend all day, um, really smart, really successful entrepreneurs, they'll spend all day uh, scrutinizing their cash flow and managing their receivables and optimizing their inventories and controlling their overhead expenses. But they don't spend a lot of time on evaluating how do we attract people to our to our store? How do we retain those people? And it's just something that's got to change in order for this constant churn the industry has been dealing with for the last 100 years, really, uh, to change. Thanks, Dave. So, Ted, you just you do just that. Your entire business and and much of your career has been dedicated to helping dealers understand where they are with employee engagement and retention. And so, can you tell us a little bit about the workforce study and and what it yielded in the last year or so? I certainly can. First of all, I agree with what Dave just said, and it hasn't been that long ago that um, dealers kind of looked at turnover as something that was actually could be a good thing. And they didn't really, you know, their attitude was, if you leave, I can always, you know, get several other people to, you know, to fill your position. So um, now things have been changing quite a bit over the last few years, but then particularly in the last year or two. Um, Turnover, we've been looking at turnover for uh, 20 years, probably. And uh, the total turnover in the industry, I mean, everyone says how bad turnover is, but if you compare the total turnover in uh, retail automotive, uh, which in, in 20, 19 and 2020 was about 46%. Uh, That's not bad compared to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, private sector uh, uh, percentage separations. And they define separations as voluntary and involuntary quits. So 50% is what the most recent uh, private sector turnover rate has been. So the industry by its, you know, as it stands is kind of right at the average. 
Um, the only two positions that are, you know, tend to be above the average are sales consultants and, and service advisors. I mean, sales consultants have uh, bounced back and forth uh, year to year around anywhere from 70 to 80%. And service advisor turnover has uh, pretty much averaged about 48, 49%. Whereas, you know, service tech turnover is, is, uh, uh, has been in the, you know, like 30s or even 28, 29%. Um, so right now that the only, uh, the only position where turnover seems to be increasing is with uh, the service technician. And that's been, you know, gradually increasing. Why do you think that is? Why do you see, so, so two questions really in there. Sales consultant turnover is really high, um, well above industry average, well above the Labor Bureau statistics, but technician is increasing. Why do you think that is? Well, because there's a, a, a shortage, okay, and there's a lot of competition. Um, technicians are being, you know, paid, given signing bonuses and stuff to join other dealerships or, you know, more importantly, leaving the industry and going into oil field services or going into, uh, you know, fleet maintenance for bus companies and those types of things. So there's just, you know, there's there's that shortage, there's the increasing need for more technicians, and then you've got, you know, people who are poaching the technicians. Interesting, interesting. Ted, I've, I've heard you talk about uh, turnover, but I've also heard you talk about churnover. What's the difference between those two and why should we be paying attention to both? Okay, so turnover is, uh, when we measure turnover for the workforce study, we count every termination. Like even if an employee shows up and only works a couple days and then leaves, um, you invested in finding that employee, um, you know, took time away from managers to interview the employee and so forth. So we count that as, as turnover. Um, turnover then is how many times when a position opens up, do you have to hire someone until you find someone that is gonna you know, stick around? So turnover is actually a measure of your hiring efficiency. Um, it, well, it also you know, is, is impacted by you know, your onboarding and orientation or, or lack thereof, okay? So, you know, when, when people, turnover is what people refer to as the revolving door, I think. Which, uh, what I thought was really funny is, is um, just like cholesterol, there's good turnover and bad turnover, I think. And so you can look at a store that has 10 salespeople and nine of the 10 salespeople are with them for the entire year. And that 10th position is always turnover. And I think that sort of refers to what you talked about before. Sometimes turnover isn't bad. But, but so, so if you look at your statistics at the end of the year, you've turned over one position 12 times, but you're retained nine of the 10 for the entire year. So that's not, I mean, it may look like a high turnover number, but it's not necessarily bad, right? I kind of disagree with your, you know, your nine out of 10. Um, if you look at how many technicians have uh, been in or worked for a dealership for one full year, uh, that number is only about 60 to 65%. Okay, so, you know, you've, you've got 
I would say the base level of uh, salespeople is probably more like six out of 10, seven out of 10. And then you're filling those other uh, three or four positions. But um, the, the worst part is that sales consultant turnover or retention at the three year mark is, um, is a, only like, you know, one out of three. So in 2019, um, 34% of the sales consultants had been in the job for the full three years, so they reached their three-year anniversary. Uh, in 2020, it actually went up about 5%, but that was due to um, the pandemic. And uh, you know, during 2020, the dealerships on average reduced their headcount by about 10%. The people they got rid of were the younger, less experienced folks. So we, in 2020, by the end of the year, we saw a, an unusual increase in the median tenure and the five, the three-year and one-year retention numbers. So, uh, the you know, and, and why three-year retention? I mean, that's that's a metric that I think dealerships need to focus on. And it's very easy to, to calculate it. I mean, all you need to do is get your HR manager or payroll manager to print out an active employee list and, and count how many people have, you know, been with you for three years or more. Okay. And, and it, it's three years is important because for the key production jobs, um, it takes about three years till you get up to full productivity. And we can tell that by looking at you know, what people are making after one year, after two years, and after three years. So for the first three years, compensation goes up by, you know, 15 to 20% a year. And then it levels off at something that's, you know, single digit. So if you're losing half your people in the dealership before they reach their full productivity, you know, that is, that's seriously, you know, impacting your gross profit production. That, that, that's always been, to me, a, a, a sore point. And the numbers that you just talked about are, are really, really important numbers to the operation of a dealership. Yet, I don't think most people know them and recognize them. We've got 20 groups all over the country that, that look at metrics all day long for average gross per unit and average F&I and overhead expenses and and uh, you know the service performance, things like that. And um, they just—I I don't think that's generally used well um, or recognized by dealership personnel. We'll look at the easy, hard costs of turnover, like I had to um, uh, use a recruiter for this, and I had an assessment uh, survey that I used, and I had to onboard them, and I had to um, train them, and and all that type of stuff. And and people look at those costs, but they don't look at the costs of of you know floor coverage and loss of owner base and, and inefficient sales productivity brought on by the constant churn. And when you start adding those up, the hard costs and the soft costs together, it, it gets to be a really substantial expense that I don't, my gut feel is that not, not enough people in the industry, be it retail or OEM, recognize the, the true cost to turnover. You know, it's an interesting point, Dave. I, I did a few years ago a study for a dealer group that I was working with on just the difference in productivity between employees in their first 90 days and employees that made it through the full year. And you are absolutely right that the closing ratio on a 
three-month salesperson versus a one-year salesperson is dramatically different. And so we're we're launching these employees out onto the sales floor and they're burning through ups, right? They're burning through opportunities at a much higher rate than, than a person who's been with us longer, which goes to show that we need to make a greater investment in onboarding, training, uh, and retention over the long term. So, so Ted, I heard you talk about turnover and turnover and three-year retention. I think what we're talking about here are some vital signs that dealerships need to be paying attention to. Um, what are some of the other vital signs that you think we should be measuring with the KPIs that dealerships should be paying attention to relative to employees? Well, for, uh, I mean, going back 20 years, the number that I have looked at and followed and, and still calculate as a measure of productivity, which then helps you to, uh, to quantify the cost of turnover, but monthly gross profit per employee is uh, one of the key numbers. And uh, that number, like in 2019, from the workforce study we calculated, the average for all dealerships was like $8,500. Um, per month per employee. And the reason to look at all employees in your dealership and not, you know, do a monthly gross per salesperson or monthly gross per service advisor is because all employees in the dealership, okay, can impact productivity. I mean, if you have a, a new, you know, lot person who doesn't know what they're supposed to be doing. And a salesperson is wasting time finding a car or, or finding the keys to a car or something like that. I mean, it hurts that salesperson's productivity. So you, you need to take your total gross and, and take your average headcount and divide, you know, uh, the gross by the average headcount for the month. And, and that's a number that, uh, you know, you should be tracking. And with that, okay, we can, uh, actually calculate the cost of turnover because Kathy, as you know, one of the, one of the exercises we do is we try and show the business case for retention for the dealers. And, and um, you know, since I started looking at this, um, a 10 point increase in turnover or a 10 point reduction in one year retention um, can you know, impact your monthly gross per employee by somewhere around $400 to $600 per month. And so if you if you extrapolate that and you take an average dealership and so forth, uh, that 10 point difference in, in turnover retention, uh, you know, ends up for an average dealer being about, you know, 400,000 to 500 to 600,000 in additional gross. So that's an opportunity that the dealer is losing because, you know, of being 10 points higher in turnover than the industry or something like that. And what's really amazing is if you take that number, that, you know, 50,000 uh, per dealership per year, and you take it times the 16,700 dealerships, I mean, turnover is a, you know, is a, um, it's like an $8 billion cost to the industry, you know? So, what's that? I'm sorry. I, I, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you. And, and from conversations I've had over the years, we have a very similar conversation. Look, you're selling 80 cars a month. You should be selling a hundred cars a month. That's 20 cars a month times 2000 
front end, a thousand back over. This is costing you, you know, X dollars. That's a big number. Or or for um, owner loyalty or service retention or market share, whatever it is, you assign a dollar amount in terms of lost opportunity. You quantify that to get the dealer's attention, and then you have actionable uh, plans to, to, to improve that. I, I just have never seen either an OEM or a dealer. You know, there are there are dealers that are progressive that do look at this very closely and understand it, and they're very successful. But generally, in the industry, I think we're lacking the ability to have those to be those types of people, uh, talent type of management uh, metrics that people recognize widely recognize. The OEMs talk to the dealers about it. The dealers talk in their twenty groups about it. That's to me something that's been missing over the last you know twenty years to pick a number. All the advancements we've had in um, uh, apps and tools, which will improve your analysis of dealership operations. We're really doing the whole talent search piece pretty much the same way we have for a long time. And it just seems there needs to be a quantum leap in, in how we go about doing that and how we go about identifying that there is a problem and putting together plans for uh, addressing it. It, you know, Dave, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I just think about that number, four to $500,000 per year. A dealer wouldn't tolerate that level of discrepancy in their vehicle inventory or their parts inventory. Why are we allowing it to happen in our human inventory, right? Our, our, our greatest asset is our people. We've all said that. Um, and, and yet we're letting this, this opportunity go by maybe largely unnoticed. Interesting. Yeah, the, I, I, I think part of it is is the fix is really difficult, right? So, so a lot of the, the foundational platform of a happy and loyal and stable uh, workforce is is culture, right? And culture is tough, right? You can, you know, there are there are tangible forms of culture that are employee surveys and mission and value statements and employee picnics and all sorts of things like that. And, and, and those are largely seen as a window dressing if, if the dealership doesn't have substance behind them. But to, in order to, to, uh, uh, to really stabilize a workforce, it takes very hard, very long-term investment in the actual cultural store, the way people behave every day, how, what they do and what they say and how they act reflects the true behaviors that are valued in that organization. Those are those are tough things to do and more time consuming. And I, and I think that and, and the absence of really hard metrics for people metrics is, has been what's preventing us from making any measurable um, gains in these areas over the years. So, Ted, we've talked about turnover and churnover or the measure of short timers. We've talked about the cost of turnover, gross profit per employee, three-year retention. Is employee satisfaction a metric that we should be paying attention to here as well? Way to tee it up for me, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, our, when I got started, uh, I built the business on measuring employee satisfaction. So, um, we've gone through several different ways of trying to measure engagement. Um, but you know, one thing that's, that's pretty amazing and I'll come back to Dave's comment about culture and, and, uh, you know, what it's like to work in a dealership and so forth. I mean, as bad as the 
reputation of dealerships, you know, and working in a dealership, as bad as that reputation is at times, um, employee satisfaction in this industry is actually pretty high. Like since I started measuring employee satisfaction and engagement, when the rest of the industry was, you know, or there were studies that would say that only 60% of employees are satisfied or very satisfied. Um, that number for retail automotive was 75%. And since then, you know, now they're saying that only 40% are, you know, satisfied or very satisfied. So, you know, then um, we've also just recently, we went to uh, measuring engagement using net promoter scores. Now, net promoter scores, everyone in the industry is pretty much familiar with net promoter scores because it's a way that uh, it's a very common way now that customer engagement and, and customer uh, experience is being measured. So, you know, we have three questions that we ask employees, you know, how likely are you to recommend the sale, our sales department? How likely are you to recommend our service department? But the most important one is how likely are you to recommend this dealership as a great place to work? And so the, the literature says that an employee NPS of uh, 30 is considered good, you know, like 10 to 30 is considered good. And we've, you know, we've now been uh, using NPS to survey dealership employees for um, almost two years now. And, you know, 18, 000, probably 18,000 employees have been surveyed and the average NPS for this industry is, you know, like 40 to 44. So, you know, it's, it's, yes, the industry is, you know, has a, a you know, a, a bad culture reputation. Okay. But, um, Overall, uh, it's a pretty, you know, apparently a pretty satisfying place to work. So, Ted, does that mean we've we've simply got a PR problem? Um, yes, but we also have we also have to address the um, we have to address the culture and the work environment issue. Okay, because one of the questions we ask every employee that we survey is, you know. Are you looking for a better job? Are you looking for a better job, you know, outside the industry or with another dealership? And, um, you know, the answer, it's just a yes or no answer. And the answer to that question um, is on average for all non-manager employees is about 18% are looking, you know. So then we follow that up with everyone who says, yes, I'm looking. We ask them, you know, give us, we give them a list of reasons why they're looking and and uh, they can pick up to three and and the number one thing that they check off is pay okay uh, probably you know more than half of the answers or half of the people who say they're looking say that pay is one of the reasons why they're looking um, but I discount that a little bit because it's very easy to use pay as an excuse or a reason for leaving rather than saying, you know, I've got a really bad manager or, you know, our manager really, you know, is driving people away. You know, it's, it's easier. It's, it's, 
conflict avoidance if you just say, I'm leaving, you know, because uh, I'm getting higher pay. So then, all right, if you look at um, the people who check off that they're leaving because of a bad work environment, you know, no teamwork, some hostility, um, and, and then also bad managers, not trusting their managers. If you look at those two reasons, uh, 50% of the people say check off one of those reasons. So, you know, it's the, the work environment, the culture is, you know, a big reason why people um, leave car dealerships. So, um, you know, we've got to address that along with, you know, the PR part of it as well. You know, you know, when you when you talk about it in PR terms, it's it's amazing to me that the that for the most part, the OEM has not really played a role in in people management over the years. Right. It's generally been considered a dealership responsibility. The OEMs get involved in sales training. They get involved in technical training. They get involved in all sorts of areas, but they haven't really get gotten involved in you know, how to, how to best recruit and how to assess and how to select and how to place people and, you know, training and stuff like that. They just, there hasn't been a, uh, an involvement because there's a lot of HR related issues as to whose employee is it, I think is what scares them away. So, so I, I think for, for this to change going forward, because, because one of the biggest issues is, is we can't forget the people we're losing that are in the industry it's very difficult to attract people to the industry as a career path, right? So we just talked to a very successful dealer group that said about 90% of his hires over the last year came from Starbucks or other completely ancillary retail industries that had skill sets that fit in today's retail environment. So, so it seems to me that the OEM needs to collaborate with the dealer more going forward in, in terms of identifying what these metrics are that we're going to me- measure ourselves by um, and, and providing and cascading best practices in each of those areas that can help the dealers improve. And that's, that's just an area they, they haven't been too involved in. Uh, I was just going to add to that, that, you know, yes, the OEM can help with that. Um, I've been working with NADA now for 10 years and they're starting to do more in terms of, you know, uh, positive PR things about working in a car dealership, but yet in a dealership, there's still, you know, a tendency to exaggerate the opportunity. Okay. I mean, it's very common for, you know, for people to tell a, you know, potential recruit in sales that, you know, without a degree, you can easily be making, you know, over a hundred thousand a year. Okay. And, that's a total exaggeration because when we look at the what salespeople in the U.S. are are making, I mean, there's some that are you know making uh, you know half a million dollars, but if you look at how many people are actually making more than a hundred thousand, it's less than ten percent. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you exaggerate when you're recruiting, and then you know they get in there and they they, you know, they, they're disappointed because you set their expectation and now you, you can't deliver number one, because you probably aren't providing enough, you know, uh, career coaching and, and, you know, spending enough time with them. But, 
it, you just need to be honest. And, and there are a lot of good things you can say about working in this industry. You know, and all you need to do is look at the the median, you know, annual wages for uh, any employee in the dealership. Look at it across all positions. And, you know, it tends to be 20 percent to 25 percent higher than the uh, national median wage. OK, so, you know, it's there's there's a lot of good things to say about the industry, but. Um, too many times dealers and managers just kind of shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah, it's, uh, t to me, it's a, it's a, uh, really opportune time, uh, to change that because the industry is first because of the pandemic and then because of the chip shortage, it's, it's really changing the way vehicles are transacted. It's changing the, the skill sets that are required. It's going, uh, less from a transactional basis to more of a, or less of a negotiation to relationship, right? And and skill sets are required are different. So to me, now is the time to embrace ideas like uh, flexible pay plans. One size fits all doesn't really work for somebody new coming in with an uncertainty um, about the industry. Maybe that's a salary and that evolves into, into a commission base once you're established and stuff. So it doesn't need to be one size fits all. It, 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 in terms of, um, like you talked about development, pe people often aren't listened to, don't get provided an opportunity to, to train and develop uh, themselves. And it's things like that, that that will attract the younger generations to the industry that other retail industries do a lot better than automotive does generally. You know, there's another factor at play here uh, that I've been having conversation around late, and that is the fact that we've got four generations, sometimes five, working inside of a dealership. And there's really kind of a dividing line right now around the age of 40. If you are uh, younger than 40, you've never known life without technology. If you're older than 40, you remember the paper and pencil way to do things. Um, and that's creating a bit of a culture clash inside of dealerships too. So I think there's another conversation to be having around what are the cultural differences in how we approach business uh, and how do we better relate to one another. Um, around that same uh, demarcation, most of the managers are over 40. Most of the frontline personnel are young, un, under 40. So there's there's this interesting culture clash going on inside of the dealership that I think needs to be addressed as well. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I mean, really, the, the, the younger generation now um, is resistant to, you know, KPIs that are all outcome based. Right. And they want to be recognized for some of the activities that contributed to the outcome. And so that's a, a real subtle change, right? That's happened. Yeah. So Ted, lots of interesting data here. Um, you've highlighted um, six vital signs that I've written down as we've been going along. So I heard turnover, turnover, or the measure of short timers. I heard cost of turnover, three-year retention, gross profit per employee. I think you highlighted that as really important. And then overall employee satisfaction uh, and employee engagement. And I know you've been measuring this for a long time. Your company is the engine behind the NADA workforce study. These, these data elements are important for dealers to start wrapping their heads around. How do they get involved in the NADA workforce study? All they need to do is go to um, nadaworkforcestudy.com. And that is where they can enroll in the workforce study. Um, the only thing they need to enroll is they need their NADA member ID. Um, well, I should mention it 
NADA requires them to be a member to participate. But um, so if they enter their NADA member ID, uh, that's the first step in, uh, you know, enrolling. And then there's follow-up emails and requests and, and tools for them to, you know, pull their payroll data and everything like that. So um, any cost to the dealer? There's absolutely no cost. And, in and fact, what, do they they, get, what do they get out of it? Okay, so they get a, a uh, we call it a custom report, okay, but it, they get a report for their dealership that shows their um, human capital management metrics compared to a peer group, okay? So if <clears throat> uh, we, we have a formula for choosing the peer group, uh, we have to have a certain number of dealerships in the peer group. But, um, you know, in some areas of the country, we can, your peer group could be, uh, you know, other Toyota dealerships in Texas, okay? Or, you know, I mean, we, we can uh, put together a peer group that is, you know, relevant for them. And so they, they get a direct comparison to that peer group, just like they do in a, in a 20 group. Um, That's great. And then what about the manufacturers? Can they participate in this or how can they participate in this? Yeah, we so we produce um, brand comparison reports for the OEMs. And and um, so we have two reports. We we do a report for the luxury, uh, the luxury market. Um, and then we also do reports for the mass market or or non luxury. Um, and in that report, it just takes all the data and it and it shows them how they're comparing to you know other brands in their in, in that category. So uh, that also can be very very enlightening. Great, Ted. Anything that you think that's important in this conversation that we haven't touched on? Uh, yeah, actually, I want to go back to engagement because. Um, Dave mentioned how difficult it is to change culture. And, you know, my clients who, you know, who do our survey and, uh, you know, they're always asking, okay, now what do I do with this information? And the way I always coach the GM is, um, first of all, promoters, when you're using the net promoter score, promoters, the thing that is, most common about them is they look forward to coming to work, mm. you know, and that's, that's the high, the highest correlation with promoter uh, percentages is how they answer the question, you know, do they look forward to coming to work or not? So just that one question, if you're a GM and first of all, if you want to manage engagement and you want to change your culture, you've got to be constantly talking and listening to your employees. So I always tell them, take that question and just meet with a group of employees. You can do it, you know, across functions. You can do it just salespeople, whatever. But first ask them, what are some things that make you look forward to coming to work each day? You know, and, and put that on a, you know, a flip chart or something like that. And then follow that up with the opposite question. Tell me about some things that make you dread coming to work each day. And if you listen to what they're saying, they're telling you how to change the culture. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Because the things that make them look forward to coming to work, that's what you need to do more of. Okay. And the things that, that make them dread coming to work, those are the aspects of your culture or processes or whatever that, you know, maybe you should address and you can't address everything, but you know, it's, it's a pretty simple way to come up with some action plans. That's really, really good advice, Ted. And, um, you know, we, we here at GP, we have an engagement practice and we say that employee engagement is, is nothing more than employees having maximum satisfaction and giving maximum contribution. And that sounds that, like that's in line with, with how you think about engagement as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Dave, any final thoughts? No, just I, I go back to I was around in the 1980s when Dave Powers came around and essentially defined uh, what customer satisfaction was and gave uh, metrics that were important to the industry or the OEMs and thus became important to the retailers about about how we measure customer satisfaction. It, it seems to me what Ted is trying to do is exactly the same thing for employee satisfaction and, and talent management. And we don't have uh, readily recognized and identifiable metrics for those areas. And I think the ones that Ted and you have talked about today does that. And I would just say that we need to get uh, more dealers involved and, and more OEMs involved because of, of all the operating metrics that a store uses to evaluate their performance, the, the, the least well-developed is the is the people management, the talent management, and it may be the most important. So it's just something that time has come, and I think the, the metrics are here, the measurements are available, and we just need to be, get greater adaption to be more meaningful. Yep. It's funny that you say that, Dave, because uh, my first business plan, I said that our mission was to become the J.D. Power of yep. the and I actually met with Dave face, you know, one on one several times back in 1996 when I was setting up the company. Yep. Great stuff. Well, thank you both. Um, as always, Dave, it's a pleasure co-hosting with you. And Ted, thanks so much for all your contributions and insights. I'm sure it'll go a long way in making a, a, a ripple of a difference as we uh, continue in this great industry. Well, thank you very thanks, much, Kathy. For having thanks, me. Ted. Thank you both. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.